0: Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Route, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between food producers and food consumers. Aaron Sawyer's has been way too long. Where have you been hiding anyway?
1: So, yeah, the last time you had me on here, uh, I had a different job. So it's been over a year. Uh, I was working for Extension still. And in that time, I switched to uh, executive director of No-Till on the Plains. So similar work, but changed hats.
0: I think it's been way more than a year because you were organizing <laughs> um, mental health workshops for farmers dealing with stress. Well,
1: good,
0: mm-hmm. good thing is the stress has all left agriculture. Nobody's stressed anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, we did a session uh, winter conference last year in Wichita, a guy shared, you know, his struggle with uh, with the stress and how he dealt with it, and and how that forced a change. of uh, He was working through it with a peer group of friends. Kind of a started as a prayer circle, and and they were going through issues in each of their operations and and sharing it. and Neat deal. So Seems still like- doing that.
0: Seems like prayer groups is the best avenue for most things, Aaron. It is. So you have a new hat, although you're kind of doing the same thing, just don't have to report to the Kansas State Extension maybe as much. (laughs) We don't need to have that discussion. What exactly are you doing? No tilling on the plains?
1: So we're, you know, a 501 c nonprofit education group. So I work with farmers and ranchers uh, in the plains. So we're working on some stuff uh, maybe in Texas in the future. And then, you know, last August, I went all the way to Bismarck, North Dakota. So I pretty much do what I did in extension, except I have the whole plains to deal with. I got a lot bigger network.
0: What What's going on in the world of no-till? Because I I continued – a couple of things, Aaron. I I know – in fact, I tried to implement that in my garden this year. I planted potatoes with no till because I got to thinking, if I'm a proponent of soil health and I see where I, I had – uh, it, it was Brian Jorgensen, actually, who told me first that tillage is a catastrophic event to the soil, soil health, and what's going on with the integrity and the earthworms and that whole ball of wax, which I know you're going to walk us through. But I was like, if I'm critical of my neighbor for running over that field I'm looking at right now, a section field of corn, and he's tilling it four times before he plants it, why why am I not any different in my garden? So I planted my potatoes by laying them on top and then covered them with straw. And I am I should send you a picture. I'm, I'm pretty happy. They look fantastic. I haven't eaten any yet, obviously. Good. But it all comes back to soil health. And so I'm curious because... Years ago, twenty years ago, I think that the Great Plains was the leader in no-till and minimum till and all of these things. And then I, I don't know if there's as much emphasis on it today. Obviously, you're bringing that back. Where, where is it, and how how much uh, utilization are farmers doing with no-till, minimum till, and what are the differences?
1: Right. So no-till's gotten tougher. You know, we got some herbicides there in the 90s early 2000s that when they were new they came out they worked awesome you could kill anything <clears throat> and uh, run over a bunch of acres with the sprayer plant crops and you know have spare time guys got bigger started spraying more and more and more weeds change weeds get hard to kill so that's where no-till is at <laughs> you know locally where i'm at there around protection most of our long-term no-tillers gave up in the last you know, five years because they couldn't kill the weeds, uh, cost effectively. So it, it's tough. Uh, they reverted back to tillage, gave up, you know, 25 or 30 years, uh, of no-till progress just because they had to function. I mean, you, you got to stay in business. Uh, so it's hard.
0: I, I don't want to split hairs, but I do want to talk about this in a moment because yep. uh, I used to, um, think that you know chemicals were necessary chemicals are necessary i'm not demonizing chemicals in any way shape or form but roundup for example the one that everybody likes to beat up on was so effective in killing weeds that it killed all the competition for what other people have now deemed super weeds they're not super weeds at all the same reason that roundup doesn't kill the crop that it's put on these There was a few weeds that happen to have a natural resistance to glyphosate like the crops that we produce. So consequently, Roundup got rid of all those weeds competition, and those are the ones that are left. And those are the ones that apparently, what you're telling me, we just haven't figured out how to handle yet.
1: Right, and usually you look at those species that we can't. We can't kill or we struggle with. They have a, you know, they're an indicator species of something that's out of balance. You know, when I walk into a field and see a bunch of pigweeds, I know we've got a bunch of basically nitrate nitrogen sitting there. We're maybe over applying or, you know, under utilizing fertility that could be sitting there and weeds are opportunistic. They get water, sunlight, and there's fertilizer there. They they shoot up and grow. That's what they're programmed to do, you know, propagate more seed. And and you think about you're talking about the resistance uh if they have a million seeds and there's a mutation, you know, one in a million, every generation, they could have a mutation to be resistant to something.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the ones that have that resistance are the one, they're the survivors. I mean, it's, it's just evolution within a species. Yep. So what is the path for we, and I always found it interesting that we think about, I'm, I'm out there every, and last night until I couldn't see him anymore, I'm waging war on these thistles and I'm committed to try to stay ahead of them with a shovel instead of spraying them. And by the way, I'm not winning that battle. <laughs> uh, but, uh, what is the status of controlling weeds in that environment today?
1: So the best herbicide is shade. So the more residue we leave, you know, you're talking about your garden, your potatoes mm-hmm. under your straw. They probably don't have very many weeds in there. You probably have some weeds. Uh,
0: I so get we a few ground- of these viney things that come up, and as long as I stay on top of whatever that vine is, you probably know exactly what it is. I, I pull that vine, and I'm pretty much weed-free. Mm-hmm.
1: But you don't have pig weeds or mare's tail or no, lamb's quarter, no. or any of those common things. Uh, no, no. So if we can keep the ground covered uh, through uh, what you and I like, grazing management then we have less weeds to deal with so if you have less weeds that germinate you know over several years you have less seeds to deal with and you can use less herbicide there's some guys doing some really neat things uh planting green you know using a roller crimper or or cows and not using herbicide to plant crops that that have built a system over the course of years you can't fix it in one one year
0: That's the thing about it is that sometimes financially we, we don't think we have the ability to build this over a period of time and it takes time.
1: Yeah. We, you know, yesterday had the meeting there in Franklin and Ray Ward, Nebraska guy from Kearney, most people would know. uh,
0: Ward laboratories.
1: Uh, Right. He talked about. I'm going
0: to tell him that he owes me a free soil test (laughs) after giving him a plug.
1: Yeah. He said, you know, we've, We've uh, farmed like we have extractive agriculture for the last 140 years. We've been pretty tough on our soils and now we want to fix them in one or two years and that's that's not possible. It's an ongoing thing to ensure that the next generation has soil left that's of quality and water quality that's good.
0: So I have to go to a break. In one minute, Aaron, what are you telling those guys that Gave up on the no till because of the weed pressure.
1: You can't tell them much. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked back and forth over the years. The, the margins are slim. Guys are struggling. Um, they're in survival mode right now. It's Mm -hmm. how do you get them financially stable enough to get out of survival mode to where they can think clear and thrive? That, that's where we try to come in is, you know, meet them where they're at. And just show them that there is another way. Not tell them that they have to. Just get good speakers. Try to engage them, meet them where they're at. That's why I'm in Nebraska this summer.
0: And when we come back, we'll talk about the meeting that took place in Franklin yesterday. And one that is coming up in Imperial next week. Although Aaron Sawyers did not get a hold of me to see what my schedule was. So that I could for sure be an Imperial. I could have been at Franklin yesterday, but I screwed that up. But the fact that you're hearing me today <laughs> means that I spent time well yesterday instead of going to see Aaron. I'll explain yeah. that. when we come back with more Roll Route. Aaron Sawyer's talking about no-till. Talk about soil health. That's what we're talking about. How do we build soil health? More after this. Spend a moment and talk about those individuals who risk it all for our freedom, men and women in the United States military, active duty, first responders, Life is better because of you. We say thank you. The Wall of Honor does that. The Wall of Honor says thank you, and particularly on a hometown basis. Get more details about how the Wall of Honor can come to your community, how you can submit a loved one to be recognized on the Wall of Honor. I'm telling you, I've used this word, and I'll continue to use it. is the most captivating experience I've witnessed on people paying attention and saying thank you. The Wall of Honor dot org. The Wall of Honor dot org. Welcome back. Roll right out, Trent Lewis, alongside Aaron Sawyer's. Actually, he's coming to us today from Hayes, on his way home to protection. Who doesn't want to live at protection? <laughs> I'll never it's forget I'll never. Oh, that's a strange thing. How does that handle work in Comanche County, Kansas?
1: Yeah, we got we had a good May and a good June so far, so we need to keep it up. The rest it of the year wasn't that whippy.
0: You know what you're going to have now? Mosquitoes. Weeds. We got. <laughs> <laughs> I got a question for you. Um, uh, so I've noticed in my daily barrage of w- waging war on my thistles that I have these little communities of thistles, which I understand because you already told us about the, the seed spread and, but there'll be areas that are just m- like little thistle th- forests. And that's where I go attack. But I've noticed the cows and the calves like to lay in that area where all those thistles mm-hmm. are. I have an idea what it might be, but do you know what it is? why they lay, choose to lay with the thistles? Are they
1: grazing on the thistles at all?
0: No. I, I see a few, and when I'm chopping, I see a few uh, flowers that have been, you know, plicked off. Mules, by the way, are the best uh, thistle grazers ever. You put a mule in a pasture, and they'll go pluck the heads off. Mm. But I always wondered about when anything eats a head that's full of seeds, and then they go do what you know nature comes about. Are they just great seed spreaders?
1: It de- it depends on the seed. If they're you know some seeds are meant to go through animals, some seeds aren't. Thistles, one I don't I don't know for sure.
0: Do you not have on a thistle problem year. in Comanche County?
1: What kind of thistles are you fighting? Canadian thistle? thistle. Canadian. Yeah. Okay. So we graze thistles. We've, we, the cows and calves, cow, calf pairs, they usually nip all the, the tops off, but, but we don't have, personally, we don't have widespread issues. We have a few thistles here and there, but we don't spray them. We don't chop them. They're forage.
0: You want me to graze your cows for you? <laughs> <laughs> These must be must thistles. And does matter are they tall? Yeah, my uh, thistle is
1: noxious weed
0: that Oh yeah, this is a, this is a noxious weed. Yep. The county <laughs> considers it a noxious weed and, yep. and we do illegal. One year I got a visit Trent <laughs> get your sprayer out.
1: Yeah. You've got all your your daughters are all done working yeah. now. They're all graduated and about to be gone. they you know, losing your free
0: thistle choppers. You know, there was one summer I even paid them for every, <laughs> every thistle head they brought back to me and give them a penny. Yeah. And, and apparently the life's too easy for them. They, the number of thistles those three girls have chopped in their lifetime. Yeah. I did more yesterday than they do in their lifetime. Anyway, I, uh, Aaron, it, it half back to the cows laying in with the thistles and they are must thistles. I was just trying to pick on the Canadians. Um, <laughs> It has to be a, a difference in a, a bug interaction. I don't know there's what else. Something. I wouldn't know what yeah. else it would be, but uh, obviously cows do everything for comfort and, and they, that's why they go into the wind. And there's a reason that they're laying in these thistle patches. So I try right. to rationalize them myself. If the cows like laying in them, maybe I shouldn't be out here chopping them. <laughs> wrong. That's, that's right. the wrong answer.
1: Right. But what you're starting to do more of is you're starting to observe things like that. Like why why do they lay in there? That's
0: there's you know, something to that,
1: like you're saying.
0: You actually have really hit uh I don't know what the right word is, something that I, I truly enjoy. As much as anything getting rid of the thistles, I love being out there and observing those behaviors. I'm just like a behavioral researcher all the time and try to figure out why animals do what they do, particularly cows and horses, which are in the elements of nature all the time.
1: Right. Right. That's my favorite thing is when we move cows into a new paddock is to sit there and listen to them pulling on the grass, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. the tug. and Cause you can tell there's a difference when you're, when they're content or when they're hungry you know, if I missed the day before or they were ready to move last week, it's, that's the, the best time is to sit in God's creation and listen to a grazer work.
0: Yesterday before I went to town to get my new microphone because the other one completely, uh, this is say quit. Um, I told Kelly, I said, the cows are telling me I need to move them. Yeah. Before I got home. She had them locked in the crowd. and then last night I got to move them. It, they do communicate with you if you're paying attention.
1: Yeah, if you listen, they have a built-in move button. They tell you if yeah. you're late.
0: <laughs> they do tell you everything you need to know. You, you nailed it if you're listening. All right, what did you do in Franklin, and what are you going to be doing in Imperial? Yep.
1: So Franklin yesterday was uh, Jody Sathoff Memorial Field Day. He was a longtime, uh, you know, crop advisor with CHS that passed away, uh, I think, uh, about a year and a half ago. I I never had a chance to meet uh, Jody, but it was a neat day with family. Uh, we had uh, Jay Fuhr from Minokin there, North Dakota, come down and talk about, you know, carbon is kind of the... The new buzzword almost, you know, what how are we going to sequester more carbon? What are we going to do with CO2 emissions? Uh, so he talked about <clears throat> North Dakota, you know, how they're going to put in those pipelines and
0: no pump not. CO2
1: underground. Uh, he, I, got, I got news for Jay, we're stopping the, them. Yep, yeah, yeah he was he was uh, just trying to talk through the history of what I, he's I done. Know. In right in the you know 70s 80s 90s the the change and and what we're trying trying to do as people when when plants could remediate most of our problems.
0: Mm-hmm. And for the record, Versus for spend- those that don't know, North Dakota Minokan is in the heart of the CO2 pipeline. And uh, two of my stories that I broadcast on Trent on the Loose for, have been from Minokan in the past three weeks. So go ahead, Aaron, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you, you brought up that little buzzword and you talked talk about CO2 pipelines and I just kind of lose my self-control. Right. All right, go ahead. Right. Yep.
1: So he talked on that, uh, you know, kind of his, his journey. He worked for NRCS and he's retired now and they have them in the Oak and research farm and just things they were doing, how we've changed, you know, how people learn more over time that maybe what we are doing isn't the best for the soil or for water quality. Um, then Ray Ward was there, uh, to go over some biomass samples and, and talked, uh, we had a soil pit, went out to, uh, two fields that were long-term no-till and dug in the soil and looked what was going on. So really interactive, neat day.
0: Mm-hmm. And what will Imperial be like next week?
1: Man. So Imperial is kind of a unique one of, uh, I'm going to go out to the wine glass ranch, see, uh, Logan Pribono, uh, Steve Tucker's from Venago, uh, Ken Thomas is the kind of the regional, regional soil health specialist within RCS. Uh, so we're going to have a diversifying row crop acres. With animal impact that you see all those corn circles out there, uh, but not a whole lot of cowboy hats. So kind of a neat, neat relationship out there, this ranch, uh, for that area.
0: Chase County, uh, Nebraska is pretty unique in that it's in the Western Nebraska, no doubt, but it is, it's a high cropped area. And if you don't know that little corner of southwest Nebraska, you don't really understand that. But it's a, I, I'm myself where I feel like I'm on the edge of where corn country ends and cattle country begins in Nebraska. But you go down in that from McCook all the way over to Imperial. But that part of the country until the last two weeks had the worst drought I think they've ever experienced in their life. And all that plays a role in soil health.
1: Yeah, we went out the 30th to cut uh pans for the rainfall simulator and when you got to mccook and headed west to like Colbertson in there they you could tell the there were places the railroad tracks were washed out they mm-hmm. had a you know a flood break their drought but but prior to that i have a, a friend there at Colbertson. he said well, they're about to sell all their cows because they just it wouldn't rain they're in year two of nothing
0: I drove through there about six weeks ago, and uh, I've seen some drought conditions. But from Oberlin, Kansas, to Culbertson, all the way over to Imperial, uh, I don't think I've ever seen anything worse in this part of the country. We've got to take a break. Aaron Sawyer my guest. We'll be back with more in the second half. We'll roll out after this. Welcome. Tender beef. Certified Piedmontese is the opportunity for the consumer to have a guaranteed tender supply of beef. This happens thanks to the myostatin gene. Two copies of the myostatin gene in these cattle, which allows for rapid muscle growth. What that means for you, the consumer, the muscle fibers are small and tender. That is the eating experience that uh, drives satisfaction. If you would like to see what I'm talking about, no, taste it. Com. Welcome back, roll route Trent Loose into the second segment. Aaron Sawyer's joining us from Comanche County, Kansas, director of the No Till on the Plains, and uh, continue to talk about soil health. Are are we making progress? What what would your assessment, Aaron, be at this moment of soil health in the Great Plains?
1: I think we're starting uh, to see the ball rolling to to really realize that we have to change what we've always done or we're going to keep perpetuating many of the issues that we struggle with uh you know like i said 30s 50s uh were tough times that my great-grandparents went through with soil blowing and and drought And you look at what we had last winter where where we were was high winds and blowing dirt uh we just keep repeating the the problem, and, and Mother Nature has to cooperate. It's hard when it just won't rain.
0: Well, I got a news for you. We can control some things. Mother Nature cooperating is something we cannot control.
1: Yep. Mother Nature bats last. So we.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. But in we, uh, all fairness, Aaron, I've shared this story and I, I stand by it. During the 30s, and your county happened to be right in the heart of the worst of the Dust Bowl. And if you look at what the Great Plains of America did from 30 to 37, it pretty much produced nothing. I mean, it was decimation. It built California agriculture because people just couldn't take it anymore. Left, Piled up stakes, went to California. Yep. and And if you look at from 2000 to 2007, not even including 2012, the Great Plains of America had less precipitation than we did during the dirty thirties. Now it could be argued that there were more severe heat and wind days in the thirties than in from 2000 to 2007, but we never had the same decimation of crop production. In fact, we produced more crops every single day. That's a factor of two things, uh, better soil health and irrigation and irrigation has, has been the driver and gets lost out of the equation. In fact, I, I now realize that when Biden signed the 30 by 30 initiative and it said return 30% of the land and the water to its natural state, that, in, that includes getting rid of irrigation. What, what are you seeing in terms of irrigation development or at least maintaining status quo? Because without irrigation, we do have a serious problem in the Great Plains of America.
1: Right, so I'm starting to deal with some people <clears throat> You know, I'm, I'm dry land in <laughs> operator and there's a few uh, irrigators around me. But the, the most irrigators I deal with are, are trying or are not trying. They're being kind of forced to be more water efficient. They have less to pump. They're in a restriction area. Not everywhere is in a restriction area. Uh, so they need soil health to hold more water in the profile. Mm-hmm. You know, dirt. As we've talked is, is different than soil. Dirt doesn't hold much water. It's almost hydrophobic, uh, at times. So they got to hold more water in the profile, uh, so they can grow more with less.
0: That, that's the most profound statement maybe ever made on roll route. I got to tell you, defining the difference between soil and dirt and that dirt is hydrophobic. That's incredible.
1: It can be, it's, you know, we saw uh, in this spring when we've had these, you know, these year and a half drought, that soil actually will crust over uh, at times and, and repel water. So you need a primer rain, like, you know, uh, soil is an aquatic system, runs on water, it's life, right? Sun, water, soil. Just like a human body. Yep. And if you take one out, you don't function correctly.
0: Yeah, I'll never forget the day I learned my brain was 80% water. <clears throat> I thought, I'm going to feed that thing. So I drink a <laughs> gallon a day. Yeah. <clears throat> so who shows up? Who Who's paying attention and wants to be a part of this? I, I'm still just kind of hung up, Aaron, on on the guys who were there and have had to abandon it for financial reasons. I understand that from the weed pressure. So are they coming back? Who, who's going to be a part of this mix or do they just leave? Do they just exit? And we have a, a consolidation in the people who are farming.
1: That's a tough one. I think in the next, uh, you know, five to 10 years, maybe there'll be some more people that either, uh, they get bigger or get out. Um, Average age of the farmer, as you know, is up. So some people are starting to retire. You know, locally we've had two or three farmers there right around 65 that have said, uh, cattle are worth enough money. My land and machinery is worth enough. I'm, I'm going to get out. Now most of them are just finding a young person to rent it to. Uh, but we've had several exit in the last 18 months at home.
0: Are you still optimistic about our future in agriculture? Yes, I am. Uh, I think it's, you
1: know, some of it is I have two little kids at home that that I want to realize, you know, what it takes to grow food, to be a steward of the land for future generations. Uh, that's my optimism is seeing their excitement when we, you know, dig a hole in the garden or out in the pasture and there's earthworms and life and we taste the soil. We smell the soil. You know, it's a, a living, breathing, living being, uh, not just a medium that we, we apply nutrients to, you know, to, to grow something. Mm-hmm. It's my whole mind has grown in the last about 15 years on soil a lot. I learn more every day.
0: Are you sensing, um, uh, a desire by farmers to use no chemicals to find a a way to do that or is that not happening
1: yes i do think uh there's a growing population some of it's consumer driven uh some of it is uh people maybe that are forced with a a health issue that have to eat a very strict diet so there are people that are trying to reduce them for that reason and then the number one reason people are trying to really reduce you know Pesticides, herbicides, all of those are the cost. Um, if you have to, you mentioned earlier neighbor tilling, you know, four or five times, you have a, a no-till neighbor in the vicinity that might be spraying four times. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a major disturbance, just a different type of disturbance.
0: So I personally have zero concern about chemicals as it relates to consumer health. I I don't worry about that in any way, shape or form. My question, Aaron, and what I want to spend more time getting a handle on is that obviously when you spray a chemical and then let's not forget that water is the most abundant chemical on earth, H2O, it's a chemical. But when, When you spray a chemical that kills what we consider a weed and a weed is a plant we don't want. Yep. I mean, in some cases a corn, pl- corn stalk could be a wheat if that's something you don't want. When you spray any chemical, you, you said it. I think that was a perfect analogy. Just you, there's a disruption. What do we know about the chemical, whatever that chemical may be? You mentioned one brand name and I'm not promoting any over another. There's just not many in the marketplace what that chemical does to the soil chemistry and ultimately soil health. If it kills the weed, isn't it also stand to reason it's killing some of the, the much needed bacteria in the soil? How, how do you ration that all out? And what do we need to know about that?
1: I do believe that uh, we don't understand fully uh, when we make a management decision, whether it's to till or to spray the, the compounding and cascading effects of that decision. We understand, you know, what it happens that day or mm-hmm. a week or two, but we don't understand what we can't see, which is soil life. Uh, is it, is
0: any, anybody really digging into that?
1: Yeah, there are people that are showing that, uh, that those are disturbances that, that decrease soil activity and soil life. Uh, and if they're habitually repeated, uh, you know, you can have a, a straight no-till field that that basically has the same amount of life as a tilled field.
0: Kind of defeats so the purpose.
1: It does, and that's where uh, the circle I work. Aaron. Well,
0: and, you we, know they we, are. Uh, we we, we lost approach. you at the we lost you at the circle you work, and then you disappeared.
1: <laughs> yeah, they deal with uh no-till cover crops. Uh, Integrating livestock, you know, farming as close to nature's image as they can, uh, you know, in an ecological context. They they Mm -hmm. try to look at the whole system versus individuals.
0: Well, there. I mean, that's a mouthful, right there. We always. It's easy. It's so easy to manage one component, whether it be livestock breeding or soil health. And you have to look at the whole system and all of the things that are, their are factors affecting what's going on. That's really what your job is. I'm putting all of that on you. The whole burden's on you <laughs> and make sure we get in the right direction. Look at the whole system.
1: Right. And that's, you know, our field days and our events are really tailored at bringing producers that are actively doing what they're talking about and sharing with, a, with peers, uh, What's what's really unique about no-till on the plains, which would be different um, than my extension hat. You know, I still have good friends in extension. I still try to partner with extension, uh, but it's different when you're when you got to make money to do it to keep to keep going versus you know research. Yeah,
0: well, that's the uh, quandary we are in. At the end of the day, people talk about being sustainable. People talk about soil health. They talk about uh, organic, whatever the buzzword of the day is. If you're not profitable, you're not sustainable. And we've been sharing that for quite some time. And the challenge in profitability just doesn't seem to ever get easier. Aaron Sawyer is my guest, director of No Till on the Plains. We're going to come back and revisit what's happening in Imperial and who can attend that when we return with the last segment, Roll Route after this. There's really nothing that should irritate us as taxpayers more than our tax dollars contributing to destroying our reliable energy supply. The day is coming, folks. The day is coming that electric is not going to be available, reliable, On a regular basis. I'm not saying we're going into a period of extended darkness. I don't know that. But what I do know is that I have a report in my hands submitted to Congress last week talking about how the challenge in supplying enough electricity because of the decimation of the coal-fired power plants is going to be a problem in the rest of 2023 and particularly throughout the winter of 2023-2022 or 2024. It's not a laughing matter. It's time to shine light on the real issues of the future. Lignite.com is part of the solution. Welcome back. Roll Route, Trent Luce, Aaron Sawyer is joining us. Preparing for another event next week, No Till on the Plains, uh, will happen in Chase County, Nebraska. Kind of give us a a just kind of a, a quicker recap of what's going on there. And can anybody attend? Who who can come to this, Aaron?
1: So anybody can attend. Uh you know, you can visit our website, org, and you can look at all the events that we have going on. Um registration still open. Uh like I said earlier it's uh it's a, a farmer and a, and a rancher coming together because they both have a resource. The other one wants to share in, you know, the farmer's got land that needs grazed and the, the cow guy has cows that need food. And it, it's a, a symbiotic relationship between the two. And out there we talked earlier that, that that area is predominantly irrigated agriculture. Uh, so it's kind of neat to see. A cowboy out there making a living.
0: You let folks from Holyoke, Colorado, oh, yeah. across the border? Do they need yep. passports yep. or anything?
1: No, nope. nope. I had a guy from uh, South Dakota register. Monday.
0: Oh, nice. You know, you just said something that needs to be expanded upon because the greatest disservice to agriculture in my lifetime—I'm 56. Started really engaging in 1979. I was still in high school, but I was very engaged in 1979. And in 79, you still had people with some chickens, some cows, uh, everybody. I mean, the, the really reason that farmers calve in February when they shouldn't be calving is because they wanted to get calving done before crop season. And now we, we have cattlemen, we have pork producers, we have chicken farmers and we have dirt farmers. And we've lost some of that diversity. And I'm talking in the bigger picture. There Obviously, there's some rare examples. I don't know if it's as rare as it it once was. I'll let you weigh in on that. But you mentioned that and talked about that symbiotic relationship between the livestock producer and the crop producer. And I don't care if you're strictly a cattleman. There's a crop producer close that needs your cows and you need their forages And, and Somehow we we need to get that all back to, it's really about continuing that cycle for soil health. That's really what it's about. Because you can't right. maintain proper soil health without the animal. That's at the nope. end of the day the real story.
1: Right. You drive uh, more, more of the country than I, I do, but how many fences are left? Not enough. And uh, there's not very many windmills or solar. I mean, there's a lot of country that doesn't have any infrastructure well, for animals I, I, well. would,
0: I would qualify your statement in that I know what you're talking about but we have too many windmills and not <laughs> enough water generated with wind
1: <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> I still have two of those too Yeah. water tanks with a windmill and I'm not the one that climbs up on there and fixes them so is it coming back? is that trend coming back?
1: I think some of it is, uh, this one out at Imperial was, you know, if you can graze something in the off season of a corn farmer, it provides him revenue, cash flow. And we all, you know, anytime you can add cash to a, an ag operation, it's, it's beneficial, right? Especially if it's tied to the land. There's times you can, in, you know, you can bring in money from other things that maybe aren't as good. Uh, And you're building soil health at the same time.
0: So, Aaron, I got a question that I can't figure out myself. You run, we've run a lot of cows on stocks. It's amazing how much feed value you get from a corn stock field after they've harvested the corn. All right. And given the opportunity, they will clean up, I'm going to say, 85% of what's out there. And now these corn farmers, they, for whatever reason, I think they just like driving tractors. They think it's it's cool to go out there and roll up these corn stalks. And I I feed a lot of corn stalks in bales. I use them for bedding and pigs. I use them for, they're, they're just handy. They work great. But why is it that you put a cow out on a stock field, they'll clean up, I'm just arbitrarily saying 85% of what's there available, which is good for the farmer. Uh But you feed them corn stalks in the yard and they'll eat like, 35 percent they leave 65 percent what why do they clean it up in the field and leave it in the corral
1: yeah so i think some of that is they get to be an animal more in the field they get a select they trample you know use nature on some waste some um, bite off what they want they get a select and when you're swamping and bailing and hauling it to them uh they're still going to be an animal but they're it's in an isolated area and they, they waste more.
0: I think you're right because you you can't roll out a stock like you can a bale of hay. I roll them out the best I can. And I had a guy this year, Gary Jones, kudos to Gary Jones. He knows how to roll a cornstalk bale where you can actually handle it and it doesn't just disintegrate. But what they do is they eat their first batch until they get full at the buffet and then they lay right there. So you got all these cows yep. laying right where they just ate and they don't do that in, the, when it's in the stock field, they lay where they can and then they go, like you said, go forage and find more to eat. Yep.
1: And they can eat some leaf and some grain and a little bit of stock. They, they, they can balance their, their gut easier when they're out there picking around.
0: The one thing you and I need to partner up on more is this whole concept of what we alluded to and said but people now don't understand how important the the livestock is whatever that species may be to soil health and i think that's the key to our, all of our futures is because we've demonized animals because they don't want people to maintain independence through animal products make you healthier makes the planet healthier how do you think that we get a, a do a better job Of conveying that message to the non farm public about how important livestock is to soil health and the future of the health of the planet.
1: Right. So I think some of that is uh, at the, and we, uh, newspaper media people there yesterday. Really? We need to keep telling telling the story of uh, people doing neat things. uh, And you're starting to look at like the Leopold Conservation Award. Uh at least the ones in my mind that have been winning that are integrating livestock on cropland. They're, they're diversified operations. I know there's some just pure farmers that are doing a good job uh, that have won that award as well. Uh, but it's neat, neat to see the diversification again, like I said, when I was, we still have everything, but when I was little, my grandparents had something of every livestock, uh, Cause it was our food and it was diversification of, you know, of revenue and risk.
0: I think even the corn farmer is beginning to understand that you can use urea based, uh, nitrogen based fertilizers and, and get the same yield as you would by using, uh, year to year, if you're going to apply, uh, fertilizer, from a nitrogen based standpoint and not from animals imported from Russia, whatever you you want to talk about that you you can have an average yield that's equal to whatever the case may be, but you don't look at the soil integrity and using livestock manure to get the same level of nutrients. I think you're building that soil activity and integrity. Am I out to lunch on that?
1: No, you're right. You're uh When you're applying something, you know, man-made or, or extracted, uh, there's always a cost there and it usually gets passed on to the, the farmer. Um, and you have to haul it and you have to have machinery to apply it or pay someone to apply it. Where a cow, she just applies, you know, for nothing. You take care of her out the back end. She's applying plant available nutrition right there on the, on the land
0: certainly takes less diesel fuel no doubt about that and diesel fuel is hard to come by aaron we're in our, our last two minutes here what do you want us to most know before we shut her down for the day
1: so the the reason we're in nebraska these two weeks is to build you know friendships get out on the on the land and meet producers uh listen to what they're struggling with what they're what they're doing well with what's working uh but that all comes back to in january January 22nd through 24th, will be in Wichita, Kansas at the, the Marriott. That's my uh, annual winter conference. We had just short of 400 people last year at my first one, so I hope this one is bigger. Hopefully, we can get you there. Uh, we got speakers usually from other countries and all over the U.S. doing neat, uh, kind of innovative soil health practices, so it's a good place to meet meet producers and, and learn.
0: You know, what I like that you said more than anything is that you put these seminars on and put a field day together and you don't have supposed experts who sit in a cubicle looking at data. You have farmers who are applying things, failing and then finding success and sharing those stories with other people. Uh, that That's just huge.
1: That. That's what I really liked about working for no till on the plains is, you know, it's a, a board, uh, that is producers. So it's a producer led board, um, that knows many of the struggles uh, of changing, trying to change. And then when you do change, uh, you could change in the wrong year and it doesn't rain and nothing good happens. So
0: once again, the website
1: www.notill.org
0: Darren Sawyer's bringing us the information and if you want to see what he's talking about Chase County next week I assume it's in Chase County if its address is Imperial it's in Chase County so Imperial Nebraska maybe you want to slip on over there can you let people from Minnesota come too if they want to
1: oh yeah whoever wants to come
0: We've successfully journeyed down the path connecting food producers to food consumers. For I'm Trent Loose. Both of us reminding you that all roads do lead to a high soil health rural route. Just a quick reminder: certified Piedmontese, providing the opportunity to generate a consistently tender eating experience. The Piedmontese cattle will be on display again at the National Western. I am uh, I'm not wishing my year away, and it'll be coming soon. But I just want to say we've got some exciting things planned for the night. We, yes, we are partnering to bring more connectivity between food producers and food consumers. It plays right into the hands of what Roll Route is all about. And Piedmontese is how we get it done. At our place, there are many breeds, and opportunities that will come along with the National Western. Nationalwestern.com, CertifiedPiedmontese.com. It's all about the dot-com world. Have a fantastic day. We'll see you tomorrow, Red Shirt Friday.